All right, Josh Smith here, live from my Flat 5 studios. My guest today is a close friend and one of my favorite artists and a big influence. I probably first saw you play when I was 12 years old, I think, at the Riverwalk Blues Festival with John Mayall. Blew my mind, man. You had that stack, the Fender stack, the carpeted one, the gray one with the red knobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just came out playing and just knocked me back as a kid and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that, you know, and I've always just been such a fan. And man, the fact that we're, we're friends now and, and have gotten to do little things over the over the years and get to know each other blows me away because you are a huge influence and hero of mine. And it's a pleasure to have you. So everybody, please welcome Coco Montoya. Thanks for having me, Josh. And it's, uh, it's the same thing. I became a big fan of what you do. You know, you, you, you amaze me a lot and what you've got such, such magical hands, but there's so much more to you that uh, a lot of people don't know. Thank you, man. Thank that's nice of you to say, uh, man. So I start all these by kind of finding out everybody's story. I, I know a bit of your story just from, you know, being a fan and doing my homework, but I don't know the very beginnings. I know you started as a drummer, but what I ask everybody is, do you come from a musical family? Do you have any other musicians in your family? And how did you get into it at the very beginning? Why did you want to play drums or guitar at the start? Um, well, I would say, yeah, my mother sang. My dad in his you know, younger years used to go out and, you know, amateur night with saxophone and drums. You know, but nothing nothing uh, anybody pursued. But my mother was a beautiful singer. Wow. And, uh, yeah, those are the influences, and um, I, I was lucky to be born in an era where we had uh, some really great uh, rock and roll and uh, TV shows, you know, along with, you know, American Bandstand and all those things, but we also had Art LeBeau, and we had these great guys like that, and um, also, uh, you know, my mom always had a great collection. I don't know how we ended up with some certain albums that we had in our house, but we had everything from uh, Edie Gourmet, Trios Los Panchos, uh, Miguel Aceves Mejia, the first guy signed to RCA, first Mexican signed to RCA. And uh, it's amazing that uh, there was a Solomon Burke album in our house as well. Wow. You know, yeah, it was just so, it was, you know, plus I had three older siblings. So, uh, you know, I had the doo wop in the, in the rock and roll of the day, you know, constantly in the house, you know, 45 records were pennies you know yeah just cost you uh 60 cents 50 cents or something or less than that sometimes uh, for uh, a 45 rp you know record and so a lot of influences the johnny otis show was a big influence in, in my day uh he used to have a tv show and johnny used to do the greatest things he'd have uh big mama thornton or eddie cleanhead vincent or something on there and also he'd have some bizarre jazz guy you know he had cal jader on there with 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 you know somebody like that like lester phillips you know so he mixed it up like you wouldn't believe so uh yeah it just and then just naturally there was something inside my head that was drawn to music because i'd hear it and i'd feel something you know and so when when did you actually first play drums or any instrument in general what was the first time do you remember well, I got one of those, uh, believe it or not, things because, you know, every every blues guy, especially, has got, you know, the story of how he strung a wire up alongside the house and, you know, and, and he played that, you know, played the house, you know, 
Well, me, uh, I used to see the drummers on Johnny Otis show and uh, all these other guys. Uh, God, I'm trying to Lloyd Thaxton. There was another one, but um, I went home and drug boxes home mm-hmm. from the supermarket, and I went and broke. You know, in the old days, men had their beautifully made mahogany coat hangers for your suits and things. You know, it was like part of being in those days, you know, you had those certain coat hangers in there in the house, you know, no wire ones. You know, these not awesome. Well, I broke two of them for my dad and I got the doweling out of the middle. Wow. And those were my drumsticks. And uh, I took the boxes and set them up against the coffee table, turn the TV on and try to imitate what the guy was doing, you know. And that was, uh, I got a good beating for breaking those, but he let me keep them after he whooped me. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good whooping for it, but uh, I shouldn't say beating. My dad never beat me, but boy, I didn't like his whoopings either. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the start, really, if you think about it. And, uh, you know, it, it just from there on, my mom saw that I was just so interested in it. She was working at a uh, hotel restaurant. And they had a, an old discotheque in there. The original discotheque was just a nightclub, small stage, you know, trio playing or whatever. And the owner of the hotel bought the drum set for, so this guy could play there. Well, this guy did his, you know, yearly stint. He did a year and left. And the drum set was sitting there. My mom said, uh, he said, Esther, your son wants to play drums. I'll, I'll give it to you for real cheap. You know, I just need to get it out of here, you know. So I ended up with a Pearl drum set. You know, when they were really, really bad and cheap, you know, the kind of ones where the symbols would automatically slide down like that, no matter how much you tighten them and shit. Yeah. But I was, I was just, uh, yeah, that was it for me. Yeah. How old were you then? Uh, I got the drum kit when I was like, oh gosh, I would say about uh, 11. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I tried to wake up all my friends and tell them to come over and see my new drum set, you know, and everybody told me to shut up, hung up the phone. Right. That was probably at seven in the morning or something stupid, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was, and then after that, I got a good uh, acoustic guitar. My mom got me one of those, and I was about thirteen. Wow. And was there any music in school for you around that time? Were you playing in band or anything like that? You know, Josh said that there was in my day, which I really, really uh, mourn that, you know, because. Um, I'm just amazed that the, there's so many talented kids out there that just really want to express themselves musically, and you know it, I know it. And we should that the arts, you know, back into school because there's so many kids that's where they need to be and what they need to do. Otherwise, they get in trouble. Yeah. Um, but I had it. Um, I think of the, the showing the signs of things. It was like an elective, or something. You you know, you'd be punished if you didn't have you know, a B average, you know, and, and arithmetic and everything, you, you know, you weren't allowed to have your music classes. Uh, uh-huh. I, I had, uh, I had junior band and then band the next year. And then they, I was told I couldn't have it because my grades were terrible. So, um, oh, okay. but yeah, I mean, that, that was an influence as well, though. I mean, you know, they had snare drums and you played your little snare drum, you know, parts, you know, in the school band. Well, I mean, with the explosion of, you know, the music around that time, rock and roll and all that, a lot of your friends had to be going through the same thing you were going through as far as, you know, finding a way to an instrument, you know, being turned on by watching Johnny Otis or Ed Sullivan or whatever, and, and you know, getting into that. So did you start quickly playing with friends and kind of having 
those little things? No, I didn't have um, I didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, me being the, the personality I am, I was very shy and very I couldn't take criticism. Okay. I, I was really bad at that. So, you know, tried baseball, sucked at that, and instead of helping me out, you know, everybody made fun of me. So I said, well, I got I got the remedy for that. I just won't play baseball. Football wouldn't do that. Didn't know the rules. Got made fun of. So I would run away from everything. Oddly enough, the thing that I never ran away from, you know, the abuse, how abusive this business can be <laughs> and musicians can be on each other. Yeah. I, I never gave it up. This is the one thing that no matter what anybody said, uh, how many times they said it, I just I persevered somehow. Well, yeah, because it's what you're meant to be doing. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's part of the, it's part of, you got to pay these dues, you know, you got like Joe Walsh said, you got to suck. <laughs> you really got to suck at first. You can't come out the gate genius. You got to come out and, and be humbled. <laughs> well, so, so if you were mostly playing at home and, and shedding and learning things yourself, when did your first, you know, musical interaction with other musicians besides school band come to pass? Uh, eventually I had a kid down the street, uh, he knew how to play guitar, well, what we thought, and when me and him and a bass player got together, and uh, we went to my, my den in my house, and we practiced, we practiced Gloria, and uh, the song by the Standells, which I can't remember what it was, uh, but those are the only two, and we would go every day and rehearse those two songs, and with no gigs involved, with but the, that's as far as we could get. All right, let's do let's do that again. Let's do Gloria by them, you know. Okay, let's do that again. We haven't got it right, you know. Well, let's bring in a Chuck Berry song. Well, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beginnings of it all. You never play anywhere. You just get together and bash away, you know. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't until in my my teens. Uh, my early teens, I started playing uh, with, with bands that uh, really thought they were, you know, we do covers, BG songs and whatever, the, the, the pop of the day, you know. Yeah. But all the time I was learning, what's really weird is through through Johnny Otis and a lot of people like that, I was getting turned on to blues mm. without me even knowing it. Right. There, there was no definition of it for me. I mean, it was just music. You know, and, and also the rock and roll, like you said, of the day, the, the doo-wop and, the, and the, the Chuck Berry stuff and the Bo Diddley stuff, which was the offshoot of blues, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember the first thing, like you said, you were being exposed to blues without knowing it. Do you remember the first thing that registered as, as blues or being told this was blues, you know, that, that, that kind of hooked you? Oh, yeah. John Mayall. It was, really? Yeah, it, 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 at that point, it, oh, what? oh, never mind. I just read something stupid on there. Well, no, it was, I think it was the coming of John Mayall and English embracing uh, the blues and jazz artists in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, I was attracted to this, this, this wonderful, soulful thing, you know. Um, anything that was soulful and affected me emotionally, I was attracted to. That was how simple it was. It could be the poppiest song, it could be some down and deep in the dirt blues tune you know it was just whatever affected me uh but i think mail was the one that made us all realize in america that we had kind of just abandoned this wonderful music this art form and they picked it up 
and brought it back to us. So at, for a while there, it, through ignorance, I was listening to Mayall and Cream and saying, oh, Born Under a Bad Sign, that's Cream song. Right. You know, no, well, there's this guy, Albert King. Who? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know who Albert King was, but I knew who Clapton was, and I knew that I thought it was their song. Yeah. Wow. And that's that's where the education really started to take form. You know? Yeah. Well, so around that time, then, as you start playing with some of those bands and, like you said, playing the pop tunes and covers and, and things like that, you probably were getting pretty serious, at least in your mind, about this is what you wanted to do with your life. Uh, yeah. What did your parents think, you know, as you got into the older teenage years and you're getting ready to finish school and those types of things? About oh, well, they, they talked to me. Yeah, I don't know what yours did, but they were for me. They were, this is great. You got something you want to do. You're, you're, you know, this is great. This will make a great weekend somewhere. Right. Um, but, you know, every parent looked at it and go, kid, you're going down the wrong road to try to make a family life or a living or, you know, because mm -hmm. it's just so iffy. And, 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 and they were wrong. They weren't wrong. It's just that uh, from our, our growing up, it's just showing that, that they had a, a certain work ethic and a certain uh, success level that they wanted to achieve right. for you, you know, and... Uh, yeah, to dream, dream the big dreams was was uh, not always looked upon uh, positively, you know. Uh, but eventually, they 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 had to give it up because that's all I did. Right. Yeah, I mean, at some point, there's you know, there's that look. I know I had it, uh, the look in your eye that your parents just know. Well, this is it. There's nothing we're gonna do or say that is gonna change what he's gonna do. So either we no. support him or we don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's great with you. I mean, especially as I noticed with you. I mean, they they threw you to the wolves, man, which was great. I mean, I that's what I what I know about you is that uh, as opposed to some other people that I've, I've seen younger players, even way younger, your generation of of uh, that that there's these other ones behind you that uh, people are not doing them the uh, service by not letting them go out there and, and uh, earn their due. You know, I mean, you got to hit the road. You did that. You hit the road. And you got spanked and got, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think that's real important. You know, that's an important facet. Without know? question, I think definitely, at least for me personally, the the biggest factor in the way that I play guitar now and the musician that I am is besides the hard work and whatever and talent, I, I, I don't know where I fall on the what you're born with, how much all that, whatever. Yeah. I know the biggest factor is the actual amount of hours i played and gigs and all those things that's without question the the main factor in, in oh yeah where I'm at now you know and, yeah well, that that's that, that's a i'm agreeing with you 100 percent on that because it, it it factors in so much because it's not just the playing yeah. you know when you get out there and hit the road and you get and you get gypped and you don't get paid and you're steep in a bad hotel uh you know, you got somebody walks up and say, you stink, you're awful, you know, you know, you know, or just people that don't say anything and just stare at you and you or you got some tables and chairs out there and they're not dancing, you know, it's like, right. These are all important uh, things that you got to go through. I mean, if you can't survive that, then, you know, you, you need to do something else. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just basically taking lessons every minute of every gig because i was surrounded by adults you know and yeah. guys who were seasoned musicians who had worked and were working and paying their bills and you know and just kind of 
learning how to do that on the fly, yeah, that's an education that, you know, can't be discounted. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We got lucky with our era, you know, my era and your era, that we got to be around a certain amount of our heroes and uh, people that influenced us. You know, we got that experience where someone else is going to have to YouTube it, mm-hmm. which is good too. But yeah. that standing in the in, in in a room with Albert King or Albert Collins, or you know, it's like I, t- I try to explain it to people, and I said, you you have no idea what that's like, and you know? we have that over you. Yeah, we have actual words. You know, I've had Albert King tell me I sucked. Uh, you know, and I wasn't playing, and it oh, just man. I wouldn't I wouldn't take any of that away. He just said, "Man, don't half step. Yeah. You have stepping up there. You know, you can play better than that." But he right away, you know, called me to the carpet. You know, those are things that I think we've been blessed with. But no greater motivator. I mean, the second somebody like yeah, that yeah. says that, you know, you know what you're gonna do. Yeah, yeah, I, I got to come up with it if I want to keep his respect, you know. Exactly, exactly. So being here in the L.A. area, were you aware of the opportunity of kind of making a living as a musician the way people do here in L.A. maybe, you know, like as a sideman or sessions or anything like that? Was that even something you were aware of? No, no I was never aware of that. I, I creeped into this whole thing, Josh, with uh, the... Uh, no real thought process. Uh, I just, I, I got it from those guys. And what I got from guys like Albert Collins is like, he can't sit down and say, well, Josh, it's the pentatonic scale of, you know, da, 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 da. He, he would never, he would, he would just, I don't know what to tell you. I just pick up the guitar and it, and it, and it happens. Mm. And so we come from that. I come from that thing where I never analyzed it. Albert never analyzed what he did. Other people would have tried to analyze it which is great, but uh, that's just the way we learn. Is that the the ultimate correct way? No, I don't think so. I think there's, I've I've constantly told uh, what little I've done as far as teaching other kids or talking to other people that play is to say that I think you need a real healthy combination of of life experience and uh, feelings, feeling something uh, and uh, without really much, I would just say it and without having any real way to to to, to uh, explain it. Yeah. But uh, also to have technical knowledge through the combination of the two can't be bad. It's just no. it's so much better. You know, I wish I would have taken that route, but I didn't. Well, what did you think then when you were finishing up school? What was like the path that you kind of thought might be your path? Like where, where did you think you were headed? Well, there was no one, nowhere else to really go. I worked in a gas station. I worked in a, a electronics uh, warehouse and selling uh, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, putting them in baggies and shipping them out. I, I was a bartender. I, I might not, the, definitely was telling me you, you're going to do menial jobs until you get old, where you can't do them anymore. You know, I'd like I left school at the age of uh, well, no, I was in tenth grade. Yeah, it just it just was a waste of time for me. I was not doing well at all. I mean, so I, I left school and all that. But uh, I mean, I, the, the writing was on the wall that it, I've got to take a shot at it if I should get the opportunity and getting to play locally in, in Culver City and, you know, West L.A. and little bars, you know, when I was about 18, 19, I wasn't supposed to be in there. 
Mm. And I was playing drums in these places. And um, that was the beginning. And I thought that was the big time, of course, you know, <laughs> you know playing uh, Born on the Bayou and Evil Ways and uh, doing everything we could, you know. Um, and that's when I met Albert Collins and that took that step up to playing his music, which was really great. Yeah. So, so when that happened and, and you started playing drums with Albert, I mean, so you were already obviously listening to blues. You'd already gone in. You'd heard John Mayer. Oh, yeah. um, but I mean, did that kind of cement blues for you once, once you got oh, in? Oh, yeah. When I, saw Albert, when I saw Albert King is really what tore me up. Yeah. Uh, I saw him at the Shrine Auditorium. It was Iron Butterfly and Creedence Clearwater. And I wanted to go see Creedence. I wanted to see Iron Butterfly because I liked them too. My brain was in a whole different space, you know. And here comes this man in a suit without just, just a shirt open and, uh, you know, some some spit shine shoes are probably, you know, those those shoes that just shine like hell. Or yeah. a big old ring and a, and a necklace. And he came over to pick that, that Flying V up and just tore my head apart and just... The emotion, everything. I'd forgotten all about Credence. I'd forgotten all about Iron Butterfly. All I could concentrate was this guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, that's what turned me completely around. This time, what have, what have I been, you know, epiphany, you know, there it is. Here's the realization that it, it comes from here, you know. Yeah. And that right there is cemented. That, that's what I, I want to do, you know. Yeah. At least play drums at that time. I was already playing guitar as a secondary instrument, not really, you know, wanting to be, you know, trying to do Clapton stuff and trying to play uh, Beatles chords. So. Yeah. But all self-taught, which is, you know, I was doing chords that I didn't know what they were called. Right, right. Yeah. Were you doing but, uh, any yeah, gigs on guitar? That was, what's that? Were you doing any gigs on guitar at all? No, no, not at all. I didn't do that till uh, probably in the 70s uh, when I left uh, Albert. I was always just going to jam sessions or going to somebody else's gig that would say, come on out and we'll get you up for a couple songs, you know? Right. And that, that's all I was doing. In fact, for, for a long while, I was borrowing a guitar and an amp. Mm. I didn't get a guitar and amp until after I left Albert in a um, little after mid seventies. Right. Uh, I left Albert and I got a real day job and I actually had money, a real paycheck. And uh, I went out and bought a super reaver for uh 200 bucks, uh, like a 64 beat to hell, but sounded unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, I got uh, an Ibanez Destroyer. <laughs> nice. Right upside down, you know, not thinking, well, there, there's no lefties that I just felt right. I, and there was very few of them. So um, I picked this thing up and it's this lightning bolt thing. And it just, this feels great. Okay, I'll do that. But, you know, knobs are all under my armpit, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I did that, and that was the first guitar I used with John Mayall for the first year. Wow. Wow. And where did he see you play? Just some random place in L.A.? At, uh, well, it's, it's called the Viper Room now. Well, that's where it was? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was Filthy McNasty's, and, and then it became the, the uh, Goddard. It was that, before the Viper Room, it was another name. But they used to have a jam session. It will come to me in a minute because I'm old. I can't remember. Um, we, they'd have a jam session every every Monday, I think it was, every Monday night. 
And that jam session, Josh, was the, the, the most, I've never seen it before. I've never seen it again since it had the coolest thing. There'd be nobody's, absolute nobody's like me and everybody else getting up and jamming with mega stars. Mm. It, it was unbelievable. I, I played with Phil Collins, <laughs> you know, Eric Burton used to come in all the time. Rod Stewart come up and sing. It was just a, a variety of, 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 and they would mix up with, the guy would mix it up with all these different players. You know, sometimes it would suck, of course, but sometimes it'd be just brilliant. You know? right. David Lindley all the time. Wow. Yeah. wow. But that's where I first uh, got the mail. Mail heard me one night at the jam session. I heard it was his birthday, so I, I did a bastardized version of uh, All Your Love, the Otis Rush Thing that Clapton did, with him. and I did that. And apparently, the guy made a board tape for for John. And uh, when Mick Taylor left, to I think he went to, to join uh, Bob Dylan. He was playing with John again, and he left to go with Bob Dylan. Uh, that's when John gave me a call. Wow. Yeah, just another, just a weird thing that happened. And no, no, uh, I didn't seek it. Just like the thing with Albert was chance meeting and getting to know him and. Uh, getting a call from him. I didn't, I didn't do anything, any footwork or any work to try and get those gigs. They just happened, but they were essential to what I am at this point. Were you doing at that time when you were going to those jams and working the day job, were you doing any drum gigs at all anymore? Or were you just going to jam on guitar? No, I, I once I left Albert, I, I, I realized what had happened to me is I played with Albert for almost five years. Right. And so I was in that world and, and playing in, in a top 40 cover band type thing that had passed me by, mm-hmm. you know, we had funk now, earth, wind and fire, tower of power. I'm sorry, but David Garibaldi pretty put put, put me out of business as a drummer. You know, <laughs> I told him to, I told him, I said, you single handedly, you know, what is hip and all that. You, you've, you've destroyed my drumming career. And I was only going to learn so much because I had no, I really didn't have any technical technical knowledge behind me, which, you know, just was not, I had just gotten as far as I could go as this guy that sat in the garage, the weird kid down the street beating on the drums, you know? Right. right. So um, I was out of the business. I just didn't, I figured I had gotten a bartending job and uh, I'd go jam sessions just for fun. I was, you know, playing was now going bowling, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's what it was, you know, and, it, and it's actually John Mayles seeking me out, brought me back into the music business, but this time as a guitar player. Yeah. Wow. Well, you ended up where you're supposed to end up. How? So how many years was the John Mayall gig then? Uh, Ten years. Because I, I mean, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if I saw like one of your last gigs, but I think it was close to the end. Because I remember having a cassette of Got a Mind to Travel before it came out. Oh, okay. <laughs> and knowing you were leaving or something like that. Like, that could be, yeah. Probably from Chuck or and John, JJ, down there, your friends in South Florida. Are oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, could yeah. Yeah, well, I was really close with JJ Pantesco. Oh, yeah. Groovy. Yeah. And they were close. And I think that's how I got a cassette of "Got a Mind to Travel" before it came. I'm out. I'm sure it was, yeah, because I, I, we, I shared it. You know, I, I never followed the rules. No, I can't wait. I got to say, you know, don't send nothing to nobody. You know, but I, well, I, I could never do that. 
so I mean, when I put that tape in, I remembered hearing your voice and just being like, what? <laughs> like, he sings like that? Like, where did this come from? You know, and, and so I never asked you this. Did you sing at all on any of those gigs you were doing around here, you know? Or is oh, it just God, you decided yeah. to do it? No, we. I, I learned from guys that, uh, the guys I was playing with they were, were Chicano guys that were uh, connected to the East L.A. Uh, Chicano bands, you know, so... On drums, I mean, we we do the, the songs of the day, but mostly we're leaning towards uh, uh, El Chicano and uh, uh, I'm trying to think of other bands, uh, Malo, you know, some Earth, uh, not Earth, Wind, and Fire, but more, uh, God, I was slipping into darkness, uh, I forgot. What, yeah, stuff, stuff like that, just they were leaning towards the soulful side of things, you know. So I sang background parts, I, you know, every, uh, I, you know, I I, I kind of cut cut my teeth on that because uh, I'd end up doing a couple of songs. I would do uh, the Chicano version of uh, Brown Eyed Girl. You know, I'd sing that. So then when we did Tower of Power stuff, I'd sing a harmony part or something. You know, mm-hmm. like totally brutalized it for a while. But that's how I learned. I mean, I, I was always trying to sing, and it wasn't until. Uh, I used to sing with Albert. I used to sing harmony parts. I he never had that before. I started that mm-hmm. uh, tune. Got that feeling that Albert did. Uh, uh, I remember just riding in the van, heading up to the Northwest, uh, and he started talking about the song. You know, he started we started running lyrics through our heads. You know, I didn't think of anything of it. You know, I just I let him run with it. I wasn't looking to keep anything or. You know, I wasn't smart enough to just say, hey, man, this is co-write, you know, or anything. Right, right. It wasn't something I would do. At that time, I was just an Albert champion, you know, just anything at the cause, you know. I mean, that's all I wanted. I, that's where my brain was at. I made 45 bucks a night, 50 bucks on the road. Didn't matter. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I just wanted him to be good, sound good. I was, you know, we ended up having a real close relationship, you know, father-son type thing, you know. Man, wow. Well, I guess I didn't realize, because, you know, just seeing you play with, really, I'd only seen you play with John because I'm, I was a kid. So it was a shock to me to hear this singing, you know what I mean? And I was just, like, just so blown away. And I knew, like, oh, man, this this guy's about to just have a huge solo blues career, you know? Like, it was... Yeah, it was in the meantime, I was going, what am I going to do next? I was thinking, uh, when I left John... It was a rough, it was a crazy rough year. It was 93. Uh Um, I was leaving John Mayle. I had gotten sober. Uh, Albert Collins had cancer and was dying. All these things were going on at once. Right. And uh, the thought of, well, I'm left John now. So the only thing I'll probably do is I'll let's go get another bartending job because, uh, you know, I was still trying to figure out, I, I, I can't run a pan. I don't know how to run a pan especially if I haven't quite licked this drinking thing, you know, and then drugging thing. I, I, it took a lot out of me. Um, but um, eventually, you know, little things came, you know, come your way. You know, my friend of mine had uh, Albert Molinero. I, he had a great studio. I mean, a, a music store right across from Guitar Center Hollywood. It was called Guitars R Us. And we used to play together. He was a bass player, but now he probably got this store and, you know, George Harrison's and everything and Clapton's were like coming into the store late at night, you know. 
uh, he said he wanted to do an album. He wanted, you know, he was going to do it on me. And then if we can, you know, if we can sell it to a label, you know, I give my money back. I'm happy, you know. Right. So we just we went in with that first that first album that one you're talking about got a mind to travel and uh, did bits and pieces. He'd do a favor for somebody and get some studio hours and you know I called every favor. I mail played on it. Debbie Davies played on it. Uh, Al Cooper walked in just to, he was in town hanging out and decided to play on it. And they, I think I bought him dinner. <laughs> you know, so it was one of those labors of love thing. You know. And that's how that first album came about, you know, and I got signed. Yeah, Blind Pig, right? Yeah, originally um, it got signed in, in Scandinavia, uh, Zomba Music, which was a, was a part of, uh, trying to think of some, it was, a, it was a subsidiary of some big label. Well, they loved it there, but uh, the people in uh, New York and the people in L.A. You know, didn't want nothing to do with it. People in England didn't want anything to do with it, but. But yeah, that's when it went to, uh, you know, Blind Pig. And then you end up on the, you know, the blues, whatever, carousel of booking agents and tours and van (laughs) clubs and festivals. And then, you know, next thing you know, 20 years goes by. We know that story. But man, I'll just never forget seeing you play as a kid. And just like, like you said, I mean, I never got to see Albert King. I did see Albert Collins right before he passed, which blew my mind. Um, right. But, you know, for me, yes, Albert, that blew my mind. But I wasn't seeing him when you saw him. You know what I mean? Not that he wasn't right. killing it, but I doubt it was like the great, you know, the his peak. So for right. me, it was like seeing you and seeing uh, Lucky Peterson and Thackeray. Oh, and Lucky. And, yeah. and, you know, like the guys of, of your era you were the guys who, who like lit my spark, you know, besides what I was hearing on record, because all those guys I couldn't go see, you know what I mean? So it was like, right. to be able to hear you in person and see, you know, the, the heart and the soul was so inspiring to 12 year old me. You know and I mean, I, I mean, I'm indebted to you for that. Well, that's, that's, that's the wonderful thing about this. I mean, that's the part of you that that's really sets you apart from, from other people is that you got that realization early that those are my influence. I see what they're doing. I can really, I see what they're going through. I, you know, and I know I'm going to have to do that as well. There's no easy way up to this. And, and you got to, obviously you got to love it to do it because there's no other reason you're not rich, neither am I. And, uh, you know, the chances of getting rich, especially me, I'm going to turn 70 this year. You know, it, it, there's a love that you got to have that love, you know, and that, that it, to persevere, you know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I can literally recount, you know, dozens and dozens of moments that were just, you know, oh, my God, I, I have to do that, you know, and, and, yeah. and change your your life and you're right it, it puts you on this path that it doesn't matter what money you make or yeah it mattered that i could be responsible and eventually have a family and you know a roof over my head and all that i knew that was important and i needed to figure that out but even if right. i didn't figure that out i would still be doing this same thing like there's there's you know we all cross through that like that doorway where yep no going back you know yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it for, you know, everybody says, what would you do if you had to quit, if you just quit? I said, I'd still play. Yeah. There's some way I would say if I just decided not to do records and get off the road and 
I would hit some, I would end up at the level of doing jam sessions and stuff just because I would have to play. I would get the guys together, some people together and uh, throw a jam session, you know, get a case of beer and a bottle of Jack Daniels and just that, that's my bowling night. Yeah. It, it would have to exist on that. I remember something which, which uh, is a prime example of, of, of the connection when you make a connection with another musician that, you know, we both know that a lot, there's a lot of ego involved in what we do. Sure. There's a lot of, we all have it. If you don't have it, you can't do what we do. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of it, but there's also a, a, a camaraderie that when that happens, it's magical. Uh, that camaraderie is great. I uh, take you back to a time when you walked in on my gig in Chicago. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I was at B at uh, what was it House of Blues? House of Blues, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just wow, there's this dude just standing there on the side of the stage, just watching me. You know, I look and I go, that's that's Josh Smith. I go, wow, I haven't seen him in years. Yeah, and I walked over and said, hey man, what's happening? What are you doing here? And he goes, oh man, I just doing this other gig, and I I got finished early. I heard you were over here, so I came over. And he says, God, I want to play some blues. I said, well, go get your guitar. Can you get your guitar? You said, really? I said, yeah, go get it, man. And uh, I just saw it in your eyes. You just, it was, a, it was, a, it was a totally emotional thing. It was a totally, it was driven by emotion and a need to play some. You've been doing this gig, which you were grateful to have oh, yeah. a pop gig and you were making money and you were being treated great, but there was this need and you got, you know, you went and you brought another, you brought an amp. I had an amp there for you, but you brought this little amp and uh, you came over and we just let you go, man. We just, <laughs> it was like, I had to let you go, man. I, I could oh, see man, it. I, I remember like, that night vividly. I so needed it. And like you said, yeah. it wasn't that I didn't enjoy my gig that I was on or I wasn't grateful for making a living as a musician. I'm always grateful for that because I know how hard it is. It, it yeah. wasn't any of those things. It was just that, no, you know, no. this is this is what I'm meant to do. Or at least what I always felt that I'm a blues guitar player. I need to express yeah. my feelings and play. And yeah, just hearing you play that first set was just like, man, I, you, you well, realize so how I, much I, you miss it. Man, I had to do, I had to do what I had to do. I said, well, you shit, you're in need, bro. You need a ride. So <laughs> come on, man, come on, jump up here. And, and you know, and you just, you made me grin ear from ear. It was just you you played so beautifully and wonderful which you always do but the people went nuts they did you know that's the thing that just i said well if you don't know my friends i got that opportunity to show you my friends yeah. you know and these are the guys that you know this kid i've been knowing for so long and i said you know he needed to play so come on you know yeah. and that was a wonderful yeah. moment and that's the kind of thing that we all got to you know spread to the other kids the younger people just like you know what you have your ego, you you can get green with envy, you know, and yeah. and all that. But you know what? You got to know, put it in the right place, and be grateful. Like Albert Collins used to tell me, he says, "You know what? I hold my own. That's all I am." He says, "I'm not BB. I'm not. Here. I hold my own." Wow. You know, wow. it's amazing. He told me at a music store. Uh, he was at a music store in Texas, in Houston. Great story, and it was very. Something that stuck with me all these years. It was amazing how Albert said, I was in this music store and this man put on an Albert Collins, he probably put on Frosty or Don't Lose Your Cool or uh-huh. Fallout or something. And the guy in the store 
just goes, oh man, that's a damn Albert Collins. I can't stand that guy. And Albert says, I had to laugh. And I was like offended, you know. And uh, I said, I just said, well, that's a, what an asshole, you know, and da, 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 you know. And Albert said, no, son. He goes, you don't understand. He knew who it was, didn't he? Ah. It, that would blew me away. He said, it didn't matter whether he liked it or not. He said, as soon as he came on, he knew it was Albert Collins. And he says, I'm doing something. If somebody can call my name and say that's, he didn't call it on a record. So he took the positive side of it all, you know. So and that's, that's and well-balanced point of view. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe he took it there, you know. Yeah, that's but amazing. I mean, we all got it. We all do that. I mean, you, you find with most of the people you know that are really up there and have, have, have you know, paid their dues and stuff like that, the majority of them are people you can be around. They just, they're grateful. Yeah. You know, they treat you with respect. You know, it's usually the ones that are struggling, the, the, the ones that, you know, talk shit and, you yeah, know, B.B. Yeah. B. King told me there was never talk stuff about nobody else. He said, don't do it. He said, you know, and he told me, he said, you go up, you go up on stage like you're the baddest, you're the, you're the greatest motherfucker there is, is what he said. Mm-hmm. He said, and he said, yeah, he said, ain't nobody better. He says, but you know what? Leave it on stage because when you come up down stage, you got to be humble. And I said, I understand, B. He said, be humble, because it's always be there. When you go up on stage, you can grab that ego. You can do that. But be humble when you get down to the people shaking your hands and stuff. And he said, and he says, you know why? He says, because whatever you just did, you just did it a thousandfold because you came off the stage with and left the ego out of it. And that's that was wonderful. That was very important. Wow, man. Oh, well, I think we should jump into the 10 questions. Okay. All right. Uh, Number one, when you first started playing, maybe it was on drums or guitar, could be either. uh, Do you remember the first piece of music or lick or groove or whatever that you got, once you got it under your hands, your fingers, and were able to do it, you were just like, you couldn't believe it. You were shocked. That was it. The hook was set, you know? Oh, well, drums, it would be uh, playing Wipeout. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And, uh, guitar was inventing the E chord. <laughs> I say that because I, I found it. Right. I saw the guy on TV kind of where his fingers were, were at, oh. and I found an E chord. I didn't know what it was called or anything, but I found it, and I bashed it until my fingers bled. Oh. I just get bruises all on my fingers, and I just... My mom threw a shoe at me and told me to shut up, you know, place, learn something else. Because all I knew was the E chord and I would just strum the shit out of it. Just, (laughs) yeah, that was, those are the two right there. (laughs) But, but again, like you said, the second you figure it out, it's like, oh, it's like a magic trick, you know, like that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Then you learn how to do a honky tonk. Yeah. But you go through those periods of going, dun, 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 
I love that. Uh, man, I hope that feeling never goes away. I still get that feeling all the time. Yeah. 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 If it goes, I'm done. Exactly. All right. Well, along those lines, number two, do you remember any solo that moved you so much you had to learn either the whole thing or part of it? What was the first one? Uh, that would probably be Hideaway. Yeah. That'd be the first one, uh, which I'd never got. I wanted to play it like Eric, and then I heard Freddie King's version, and then that's what got me. You know, Eric was so wonderful about saying, "Hey, don't look at me. Look back here where I got it from." You know, and uh, then I start finding, you know, San Jose and all these things. But uh, that was the first one I really wanted to do, and then uh, trying to find out what Eric did on the, the first chord of um, "Sunshine of Your Love," uh, the very first two chords he hits. He does the line, dun, 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 dun. But then when he comes in with the first chord, dun, 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 there's a certain way to play that. It sounds so evil. Yeah. And he still doesn't do it that way today. He doesn't play that chord that way. And I always listen. And every time I hear that song, I just wait for those first opening chords and they're just menacing. <laughs> and I trying to find that was, you know, of course, took me forever. Wow. All right. That's a good one. Uh, what about today? What's the first thing you normally play when you pick up a guitar? Do your hands just go on autopilot somewhere without thinking? Probably without thinking, yeah. I don't try and really come up with anything. Uh, just try and see if they work. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, I probably don't go right to anything, you know. Then I'll, then I'll put something on headphones here, in, you know, my little place here. And uh, I have a little uh, line six bean thing you know Pod, yeah. and i'll just play along and i'll just pick one of my tunes or you pick somebody else's tune mm -hmm. and just try to play along with it you know what about like we all have that thing we do at a gig especially when it's backline when you flip standby and you like you're checking to make sure that everything even works and what do you what do you got what are you stuck with you know something you play that goes through the motion so you can you know you're okay or not you know what i mean Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, basically something in C, just trying, I just bashing chords in C, you know, trying to lick, you know, at the Albert Collins high E thing, you know, great thing. Yeah, just to see, is this going to make it or is it going to be an uphill battle tonight, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you know right away, too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and and the hard, one of the hardest things to do is to turn to the audience and just, grin and just say you know here we go folks you know yeah, this thing's got a blown speaker but i'm i'm going anyway you know yep yep exactly uh all right number four what key style groove song is the most like frequent visitor to your you know subconscious when you're doing whatever when you're driving or you're or you're cooking eggs or whatever. I'm I'm always hearing a shuffle or a swing. I'm always hearing something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's the most frequent thing that pops into your head? Yeah, probably a shuffle. I agree with you. That's the first thing that pops in my head is a shuffle. Uh, probably BB uh, King for for the longest time. Cook County Jail. You know the opener. Uh, Every day I have the blues. Yeah. Uh, as that affected me as a drummer, I got to meet Sonny Freeman. Oh, nice. you know, the drummer that played that and uh, and got to, to hang out. That was one of my absorption, you know, to, to later on find out what a legend he was. And uh, 
that shuffle he does on that when they, they will you please step forth, Mr. King? I just still to this day destroys me. And of course, B just plays like insanely through it. Yep, unbelievable. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it never goes away. Like a, it's just a constant narration. You know, if Always. I pay attention to it, it's just there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just uh, every time it's like you know picking going up from the Clapton and the Mayall stuff. I can still listen to the, the Beano album and still go, whoa, jeez, yeah. boy, he's mad. Eric's mad. He's angry, man. <laughs> he just the, the things that he was doing were just reinventing a, an incredible thing. And then, and then the Live Wire Blues Power, you know, it's like perfectly recorded. Live Wire Blues Power is the one that I probably listen to one song at least a day from that record. For most, uh -huh. more than anything in my life, Albert King is the probably the thing I listen to more in, almost every day, like without yeah. question. Yeah. They caught him right at right. At, that was like peak Albert King right there, and that's like right. That came right out after I had seen him at the at the shrine. That's what I heard. I can't imagine seeing that in person. It was. It might have been too much for me to handle because it was just. Like, it was. My son, you know, Riley. He'll he'll get on me sometimes in the car because I'll oh, I listen to Albert King a lot, and you know, it's stuff I've heard a million times. And right. still, I will audibly react to a band or something. I'll go, oof, or woof, you know? And and he always asks me, why do you, you've heard this before. Why do you react like that? And it's like, it's not that I'm just hearing it. I'm feeling it, man. I can't help yeah. it. You know? I'm still in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's what I heard. If, if anybody says, well, what, what was it like? You talk about the Albert, Albert King gig. I go, live wire blues power. Listen to that. That's what I heard that night. I that's mean, what i heard it just destroys me every time yeah hey becoming his friend and taking him to breakfast and stuff like that those are wonderful moments of albert g no man i said come on let me take you to breakfast all right man thank you good you're still good to me let me go over there and he'd be kind i'd catch him and he's kind we all hear the stories of how ruthless he could be sure. you know and, and uh, angry and aggressive and yes he could he'd tell you in a minute whatever it was on his mind um but uh man what an incredible player man what an incredible that that album that time you know that still doesn't that doesn't change none of those times the albert collins hearing frosty the first time going yeah. what is this yeah. never changes for me it's funny the albert king thing i one thing i found from doing all these interviews with you know yeah mostly guitar players but a lot of them not blues guys you know what i mean right Jazz guys rock guys country guys just guitar players in general when it comes down to talking about the blues, it's amazing how Albert King transcends all for guitar players and musicians. He's the guy yeah. that the non-blues people still can't help but go, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what's really amazing, you know it. You, you've felt it and done it. You know how to play the blues where expect the unexpected. When you play with guys like that, especially like Albert, Albert Collins, it was just like it wasn't. There was no book. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there was no, you know, it wasn't the same every night. He'd decide what he wanted to do and you had to read him. Yeah. That's a, an art, an art form that, you know, a lot of guys don't get, especially young ones now. You got to be able to read the blues. I used to be able to play back there playing drums, but knew when he wanted, he was going to bring it down. I knew when he was going to end the song. I knew there was going to be a break in the middle just yeah. by his body language. Yeah. 
And uh, that's like, to me, a lost art. It's like kind of just second, you just have this second sense about it. You've yeah. developed that. That's, that's the beauty of the blues. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Listen, watch, listen, everybody else, not just yourself, listen to everybody else. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right, number five. When did you feel like you started to find what what is your voice on, on guitar? You know, because when I listen to you, yes, I hear your influences, of course, but yeah. you always sound like Coco to me. Do you remember any moments of, you know, light bulb, like, oh, this sounds a little more like unique or me, I should go further this way, you know, anything like that? You know, I don't think I put much thought into that. I never did. I, I, I knew because Albert used to tell me, like I said, Albert used to constantly say, find your own identity. He used to tell me all the time, he says, I, you know, that's, that's a great son. Yeah, oh, sure, you playing my lick there. That's great. He says, but, you know, play it like you play it. He says, play the song like, you know, take it like you want to do it. He says, that's the difference. He says, you got to know rule number one, interpretation. That's why I always tell people, young people, I said, I can listen to anybody doing a T-Bone Walker, you know, Stormy Monday. What I can't listen to is a guy doing Story Monday and doing exactly like T-Bone Walker, exact to, he's got every lick completely down. That's what you do when you're young. You, I try to learn the Clapton licks. I try to learn the, you know, the Paul Butterfield, you know, get that album, get Mike Bloomfield and learn. But you go to a period, you have to graduate to a period where you go, well, how do I interpret that playing? Right. Yeah, this is, you can tell this is, uh, this is uh, Clapton influenced, but it's not him lick for lick. It's not being a parent. That's a very important lesson is to, to find your own identity. That's something we all got to do. You know, you play like Josh Smith and that's, what's great. You've gotten to a place where you can identify you from anybody else. You can identify what you're doing. You know, it's, it's like you're saying about me, you can identify what, well, that, that's Coco. I know. He, yeah. And I don't think I put much thought into it. It's just a, a evolved. But you knew it was important. Absolutely, absolutely, and, uh, and like I said, you know that, that 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 was my way of trying to to tell the young people, I you know I don't I don't want to hear you do it lick for lick. I want to hear how you're going to do it tonight. That may all did that to me. Actually, when I got the first got the the bluesbreaker, I mean the bluesbreaker thing, uh, I went into that like like anybody else probably would have. I was trying to be Mick Taylor and Peter Green and Eric Clapton at any given song. Right. And John took me aside and gave me a good scolding. He just said, look, you know, I, I, you're not doing what I, what I need you to do. I said, well, what, tell me, John, what am I doing wrong? I thought I was pleasing him. And he goes, Mick, he said, Mick Taylor ain't here. He says, yeah, Peter Green isn't here. Clapton's not here. He says, you need to play these songs like you played. Would you, how'd you forget the basic rule? He says, this, we're doing these songs how we're doing them tonight, not how the album was, Beano album. Right. It was an eye opener, and I, I'm grateful to him for doing that because it freed me up to be me. Yeah, because that was a lot of pressure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I can understand stepping into that gig, especially as someone who's a fan of that whole book, you know, and and oh yeah, wanting to pay tribute to that stuff and play it right, you know, like like you're saying. And yeah, you got to um, as an outsider from the to the mail thing i always thought it was so fascinating you know seeing especially after clapton and peter and mick with you and walter and even buddy whittington and everybody else yeah. since how unique everybody has been 
and how obviously that's very important to John, you know. Yeah, he picked you for a reason. I mean, I, I didn't know. I, I wasn't aware of that. He just I picked you for a reason for you to, to do what you did. Like that first night when I you did the bastardized version of uh, All Your Love, because that's what I was attracted to, because it wasn't the Beano album. It wasn't uh, it wasn't Otis Rush's version, you know. Yeah. And I said, you're, you're going the wrong ways. I need you to get back on track and express yourself as a, as a blues player. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he was very stern about it, which uh, at the time was offensive to me. But uh, later on, I realized he did me the huge favor. You know? yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. Uh, number six. What do you consider your biggest weakness as a guitar player? Uh, education. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I could have been a better guitar player. I, I play totally by feeling. I have chords in here that somebody showed me or, uh, I found, or, or, you know, I don't know what they're called. Right. I'm basically illiterate and illiterate kind of musically. I just play what I play. I, I come from a, a, a self-taught situation. Mm-hmm. I, I regret that. Like I said, the, the meeting of the two worlds, the, the technical side of playing and, uh, you know, and, and then they're just coming just from your emotions and your heart. I think there's a meeting place that should be there. Anybody else, I would tell them, you need to learn, learn a lot of other stuff that I didn't bother. I don't know scales. I don't know anything about that. And the first time I heard the word pentatonic, I was already in my forties. You know, I don't even know if pentatonic meant, but nobody told me anything. I, I never had to bother with it. Right. But it's definitely limited me as a player. Um, I did a, 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 a concert, I don't know, it was a festival in uh, Colorado called Guitar Town. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to sit on a, a, a panel of these incredible guitar players. I mean, what I was doing, these are guys in country pick and do everything, you know, that I have no business trying to mess with any of that, you know. But um, the only thing I brought to the table was to tell young people, don't do it like I did. Do it like I did it to a certain degree. But don't let it be the only. Right. You have to have some technical knowledge. I think it, to be a better player, Kevin Moe told me when I was writing songs, I said, well, that's, why is it so hard for me to write? Because you need to be more, a better, you need to learn more chords. You need to look to give yourself more uh, ammo to try and write. He's right. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I co-write most of everything I do because I don't have, uh, I need that other person to, to help me with courting and stuff like that. And I, you know, it, it's definitely a, a, a thing that has shown through, through my own experience that I could have used some technical knowledge. Mm. Okay, fair enough. But, you, you know, you've arrived where you arrived and, you know, and, you know, everybody takes their own path and, you know, but I understand what you're saying 100. percent Yeah, it, it would. I, it, it's 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 attractive to me. It, it was, but I never had the access to it. And then by the time I got to playing with Albert and stuff like that, I was in their their way of thinking and their way of learning it was right. just uh, but through absorption, you absorbed it and you sat down and over and over and over and over until you you got it. You know, that's the only way I knew how to learn. Okay. Uh, number seven, who's a huge influence on your playing that maybe people would be surprised to hear? You. <laughs> Come on. But I only get little pieces. See, that you're, that's what pisses me off about you. I, I, I got it. Yeah, you take me back to my learning days when I watched somebody play when I was a kid. 
I watch somebody play and I find that one thing he would do and I would concentrate on that. I go, okay, I got this little thing he does over here and I'll go home and said, try and find it, you know, because I can't find all of yours. It's That's crazy. the way I learned. Same, I still do the same thing. I put something on, I can't relate to 100%, but I got that one part. I know what that is, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. What, that one little piece in there, that little thing you did, I can do that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, it's just other than that, you know, it's just, there's so many people. There's just so many, you know, that I, I get, gather up stuff from, you know. I, I don't think that ever stops. That's oh. the one thing I it does. It doesn't ever stop. The, the young kid come up and play something, turn around, look at him. What the heck? You know, I got to know what that is. You know, and then one of the older guys. I went and saw Thumbs Carlisle one time, and uh, that just destroyed me. I, I'm so glad I got to see him. It was very sad. He moved to L.A. and he was in the San Fernando Valley. He was up there near. Uh, of the 210 up there. We went to a bar. A friend of mine told me about it. I didn't even know who he was. He goes, Thumbs Carlisle's playing this bar. And I go, who? It's Thumbs Carlisle. You got to check him out. I said, okay, I'll go with you. I went, the guy blew me away. Yeah. And I, he played like the Jeff Haley way, you know, his hands. You know. And he went from swing to country swing to straight ahead country music to, you know, just... They played rock and roll, played blues. The blues was insane, insanely good. And, uh, and you know, he just, uh, he, he starved out here. He couldn't get a studio gig. Why would nobody use a guy like that? He's so brilliant. So and he, so went back, he went back to Arkansas or something and uh, died yeah. a couple of months later. I mean, it was so sad. Just, he couldn't get arrested out here. Yeah, and talk about genius. Jeez Louise. Oh, People, if you people out there, you don't know who I'm talking about, you know, Thumbs Carlisle, check it out, research that, Google that. Yeah. There's a there's a great clip of him playing with Roger Miller. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing uh, Do Wacka Do, I think it's uh, the song they're doing, and he gives uh, he gives Thumbs a solo. Yeah. Pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. All right, number eight. On a gig, would you rather get stuck with? A good guitar and a shitty amp, or vice versa? A great amp and a bad guitar? Oh, no, I'd, I'd rather get stuck with a shitty amp. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I need something in my hands that I can at least have a fighting chance, you know. Okay. Because the guitar really sucks. I'm, you know, if the action's too high or too low or, you know, strings are too hard for me to push or not hard enough. You know, somebody's got an eights on there. I just like, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. See, I'm the opposite. I got to have the amp first. That's, that's interesting. It's, it's a weird call. I, I would hope to have a good guitar to play, but uh, yeah, the amps, they both can be very, you know, you're going to get affected no matter what, you know, we've all been through the, the you know, have your guitar and go through a really bad, bad beat up, beat up blackface twin. You know, yeah. the reverb doesn't work. Just really bad. Yep. Crackles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You try and do nice ballad, you know, emotional ballad is, you know. <laughs> well, man, what, what number nine is, what keeps you at this point? motivated to you know learn new things or to grow as a musician 
you know, what keeps uh, the fire lit? Um, I think at this point, you know, it's, it's a really good question for me at this time, you know, because I'm just, I'm getting older, um, having a few problems with my hands, uh, not that I'm working on it, but uh, as you get older, I mean, all my heroes too, you know, I mean, watched them as they gotten older, the facilities start to go and they, and they will go to a certain degree. But uh, the, 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 the fire keeps going. I mean, because I, I hate the road. I mean, it, in a certain way, I hate the road because I'm getting older and not partying and not doing anything like that anymore. Uh, the, the, the joy, it's, it's so powerful to get out and play for people. It's so meaningful to me. I mean, I've never been one to like awards. I don't need a... I don't need an award to put on the mantle. I'm not, you know, not bowling trophy. I call them bowling trophies. I don't need them. Uh, and when somebody, people come up and say that song affected me, uh, I lost my wife, lost my husband, and you did a ballad that got close to my heart. Uh, or some young players say, man, I love, you know, got a mind to travel. Uh, you know, you played it tonight. I'm excited, you know. And you can't. That that reward is is the ultimate reward for the whole thing. It keeps you out there. It keeps you drive those stupid miles, lift those heavy things, and sleep in those god awful hotels. Some of them they're just terrible. Eat the really bad food. Um, it beats all that. You know, just just going out and playing. You know that need like we talked about when you came to my gig. Same thing when I I do the same thing. I go to somebody's gig. It's just fire me up. You make me want to be up there with you. You know. I went to see Leroy Parnell not long ago, a while ago, actually. Uh, fell in love with that guy when I first heard him. Just brilliant, brilliant player, singer, writer. Um, yeah, it was seeing him play was, you had that, you know, that, God, that is so good. I want a piece of that, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, that's what keeps me going. That's, uh, you know, someday the health may, I may not be able to, you know, and it's, who knows, you know, but uh, as long as I still love it and whatever facility I, I have to for me. Yeah. Well, to bookend that then with number 10, where do you want to be five years from now? Is it just keep on keeping on or do you have some specific? Above ground. <laughs> At this, above ground. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Hopefully entertaining somebody, hopefully somebody liking what I'm doing, fooling them one more time. I think that's, that's a, you know, ah. you know, because I always thought of it like a guy said, he said, I'm not, a, I'm not a magician, a musician. I'm a magician. I make right. you think I can play. Nah. That's the, the art. I fool you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, God, you were killing tonight, really? I was faking my way through the whole thing, you know. <laughs> oh man, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's it. <laughs> that's all in perspective. Well, that's a healthy, healthy outlook. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, that, that's it. We reached the end of the ten questions. Okay, dude, th thank you for for even just having this chat. Uh, with me again I, I love you man and i i have a long time now i mean it, you mean a lot to me and uh you know i hope you're still doing this for much longer also i hope we get to do more stuff together here in the future well that would be exciting for me i, I you know i love you to death and you know it you know we've become very close friends and i love your family and i love you being your wife nikki cracks me up every time I go, Is josh around she just cracks me up i love her to death uh yeah i love their family man the good people and you're a good man you've always 
shown your respect. You, you're wise way beyond your years and uh, probably went to me, one of the finest players out there and, uh, for a lot of reasons, not just your technical prowess. You know, you, you're a good-hearted guy and, and you go out there with the right attitude, you know. And uh, that needs to be taught. Uh, it needs to be taught. There's too many guys out there, you know, there's too many young guys out there to you know, try to not show the respect, you know, for the for the for whatever genre. It doesn't matter. Show respect for the music because it can be taken away from you so quickly, you know. And anybody that really has the fire, like we have the fire inside us for it, it gets taken away by a car accident or gets taken away by something like that. That's gonna hurt. Oh yeah. yeah. So I always be able to, not having yeah. it. I I'd be lost without it. I couldn't imagine not having it. You know, I just every day I'm reminded of of how lucky I am to play music, how much I love music, how much I love this thing, you know, and how great. Oh, yeah. It is. Like yes, last night I went and saw Chris Kane. You know, not that I haven't seen Chris Kane a hundred times. I have, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, he kicks off a slow blues and starts playing like that. It's like I feel like I'm ten years old again. You know. Yeah, he's he's so awful. I mean, my God, Chris can't play. Not at all. <laughs> no. And he's not a nice guy. No, he's the worst. <laughs> he's the worst. He's the meanest man I ever met. He's the most crazy guys in this world, and he will chop your head off. He, he will just... chop your head off. Yeah. And make you like it. Yep. Yeah. He'll smile at you while he does it. Yeah. Oh man, I swear that's rough. But you, he's rough and know it. As Albert College used to say, he's rough and know it. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the, and that's another guy I've known for a long, long, long time. Yeah, there's another person. Those of you listening, you know, Chris Kane. You want to get the feeling, man. Those are the guys that are out still doing it. That are still around. Those are guys like that that are still doing it and got that feeling. Yep, he's amazing. I can sing, sing like, sing like you wouldn't believe, and play like you. Oh, guitar play. Yep. And piano. He's a piano player. Plays sax. Play, yep. Makes he's me mad. Yeah. He's one of those guys that's just like, oh, really? He drives you crazy. <laughs> hey, you're good on that too. Yeah. Not bad enough. You whooped my ass on guitar. You. Um, who were you talking before earlier? Uh, just passed away not too long ago. He, he was a great guitar player, but played organ great, piano. Uh, oh, Lucky I, Peterson. Yeah, Lucky Peterson. Yeah, I did a show with him just before he died over in uh, in uh, what was it, Poland? Mm. We did a show together, and uh, he was insane. Yeah. God, he just leaped from those each each thing. He played piano, insane. Played the organ, insane. Of course, he played guitar. Ridiculous. Well, I I mean, the first time I saw him. Had to be 93, 94, something like that. Yeah. He came in, and at that time, you know, blues is a tough business. It's hard to have a big band. You know, and he had the horn section. They all wore matching dashikis, and he moved from <laughs> guitar to organ and all those things, and it was just magical, you know? So, yeah, it blew me away. Yeah, you and I show up in a T-shirt and dirty, dirty uh, tennis shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's all I can do to get here and pay everybody, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, dude, thank thank you for doing this. It's a, an honor to, to talk to you. And, uh, man, let's get together soon and do something. Yeah, we're going to do that for sure, man. We got to do that. It just Even let's just go down to More Than Waffles and have a meal. Grow Ooh. up. 